0: Listening to Out of Line. In today's podcast, I interview my friend Christy Tate, who recently released her Tell All and I mean All All memoir group. I got my copy of the book just three days ago and have hardly been able to put it down. It's so, so good and so important. Um, we really dive into why it's so important to tell our stories. And how healing that process can be, and also the dangers in uh, keeping other people's stories and harboring those secrets. We intentionally scheduled this interview for November 3rd, Election Day, as a nice way to distract ourselves from the stressful situation that we're all in right now. So, no matter when you're listening to this, or what the outcome will be, or even if we know the outcome yet uh just remember not to commit the cardinal sin of going it alone which we will talk more about i'm so glad i decided to do this today because this distraction is really nice
1: i feel the exact same way okay
0: so how's your stress level
1: you know it's really high it's really high and i keep thinking to myself breathe. I've been lighting. I lit a candle. I've lit a candle twice today and then blow it out when I walk out of the room. And I can't quite put my finger on it. I think in some ways because I had a book, my book came out last Tuesday. And so all along this whole year, I've known that date has been looming out there. And as a debut, it's like, anxiety that's very self-centered obviously it's like my book what's it gonna do and then once that was removed the full force of what's happening in this country um the pandemic the election civil unrest just general like all of that there's no more buffer for me my own little private puny buffer um and so i feel like i'm catching up a little bit and i'm very overwhelmed
0: I feel like I would be remiss in not telling you that while I was interviewing Christy, uh, she had a Willie Nelson for president poster over her shoulder. So if that tells you more about her vibe, she is from Texas and I have to agree with her that uh, he'd be a pretty good choice right about now. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Like you had this distraction. Yeah. And yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I'm, I have a distraction today too. I sent Daniel, to kindergarten today, like in person, which, day one. Yeah, I mean, because I had <sighs> been do, we'd been doing homeschool at home, and there was like yep. a little a little four year old that was coming every day. They could play. Like, it was working out okay. The curriculum that they had for online schooling was not good, not ideal, yeah. but we were making it work. And then the four year old's family decided to put him in preschool, and so he wasn't going to have that play partner. And I just, anyways, I thought it'd be better for him to go back, you know. But like this doesn't feel like it makes sense. But now what? tell me about your kids. Like what's that school look like for them right now?
1: Yeah, well, I just want to say that I just want to validate that it's super scary. Making mm-hmm. all of these decisions are so, so scary. So I feel you and none of this is easy. And mm-hmm. my two kids, I've got a fourth grader and a sixth grader and they're in the basement doing school. It's our only option in okay. Chicago now. So I actually feel... I feel relieved not to have to make the hard mm-hmm. choices that mm-hmm. families like yours and so many are having to make because it's there's so many factors to weigh. Yeah. I, as I, I care about mental health and social mm-hmm. health and I think my kids are doing pretty well. We-
0: I just have to say I really appreciated this particular part of our discussion and the validation from another mom, another parent, somebody else who's forced to make these decisions on a day-to-day basis, or um, sometimes it's even a relief to not have to make the decision. The whole premise of the book is how we can find wisdom and comfort and encouragement among groups of other people when we share our struggles. And I think it's really important that we take even just a little bit of time to check in with each other, to see how we're doing and give each other that positive affirmation okay um let's talk a little bit about how you and i know each other sure which you know i really got to thinking about how that group that we met through how so many of us have stayed connected so yeah talk about that yeah i um
1: so i guess this would was like 2013 or 14 god maybe even 12 um there was this like wonderful online writing community um and it was run by these like vivacious erica Molinix hoskins and there was somebody named flood
0: yes (laughs)
1: they they were running it when we were doing it It was called yeah right it's still in existence which is amazing and those were my first i mean you guys were my first writing people It was like the first time i'd ever put anything out there and was able to like grow to be something more than my day job which is as an attorney and just so many wonderful women i i met a few men too but it was mostly moms we all had kids around the same age and i have the best i have the best feelings about that period of my life and like you said i'm still connected to a lot of those people and what i realize now like online life has changed so much it's become much more caustic and divisive and we were really lucky that we were blogging. I mean, I would put a blog post out and I would get like 25 comments and they were all loving. I mean, sometimes they would be like pushing, like, are you sure? Are you sure being a mom is harder than being a Chilean minor? Which is a fair question, but it was never, there were no ad hominem attacks. And I just, I feel grateful I was able to sort of come of age as a writer
0: at a different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I don't think I realized how good we had it. Yeah. Until I think about people trying to do it now.
1: Oh my God. Yes.
0: Yeah. It was such a loving, supportive community. And I felt so intimidated. Like no one's made me feel that way, but I, <laughs> Oh, I had that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I mean, I, I still frequently feel that as a writer, but, um,
1: yeah. I mean. Oh. Some of those writers were so good. I remember so the 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 format was you would post you would put up a post. It was like a contest and you put up a post by like Wednesday or Tuesday at midnight. Then there was voting. I don't know if it still runs like this. And then Friday, the judges would announce like who had the winningest posts based on either popular vote or merit. And some people, I just remember I got so into it and I'm sort of competitive (laughs) and I would just like cry on Fridays. I'd be like, I wanted to win. But I, my post wasn't as good as Louise's or Mary Laura's or Bill's or Kat's and I would just feel so sad about it. Um, so it was really good learning how to collaborate and like, like deal in my, with myself with all my competitiveness so that I could mm-hmm. still be in community.
0: If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, which actually if you're writing, then you're a writer, um, go check out yawrite.me, that's Y-E-A-H-W-R-I-T-E dot M-E, and you can check out the community that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important, um, community as writers, because, I, I mean, I've heard other people say, like, when they see someone in their field succeed, they feel like a a jealousy or something like that. And I think, I think if I hadn't done that, those types of groups early on, then maybe I would struggle with that. But for me, I feel like, oh wow, like um, if they can make it quote unquote, then maybe it's possible for me too. Or you see all like, like, you know, like with your recent um, book publishing, I just, I've seen how hard you've worked. Like you see the behind the scenes I've known you for years and it, and you, that doesn't just happen. I mean, I guess, I guess it could just happen to some people, but yeah, not to me, but uh, yeah. So when did you actually start writing your book?
1: Yeah. So I started, I have a file where what I do is I write for the day and then I always email it to myself and I create a file. It's this system because I'm old fashioned and I've lost work before so I always email it to myself. Anyway, so I started the book on November the 9th of 2015. Mm. And I just I had a vision. I had written some not I'd written some novels which is sad and true, but um I took and they weren't they weren't good and I didn't know how to fix them. And I took a month off of writing and I'm like I'm just going to read. I'm going to Calm down. I'm going to gather my thoughts and find my next story. And I had an experience where the next story found me, and it was a true story. And I could see the arc of the book, I could see it really clearly. That was one of the things missing from my novels, by the way. Um, And I was like, oh, when I went to group therapy and I did all these things, my life went from one place to another, just like Cheryl Strayed in Wild. And once I sort of made that connection, I, I had I felt safe enough in the structure to start writing down some of what happened. And I went in order, which was really helpful. Um, I mean, I love I love books that are fragmented or more experimental, but like I don't know how to write like that, and I certainly don't know how to plan a book like that. So I just sort of went. This happened. I started here, and I ended up here, and this is what happened in between.
0: So Christine makes it sound like her book was purely linear, but I didn't experience it that way. She work, works in or weaves in um, these backstories and little asides and additional information in a really beautiful way um, that keeps you uh, focused on the trajectory of the story, but it kind of takes you to other places and then gently brings you back.
1: And, you know, it took it took five years mm-hmm to make it what it is today. So it's certainly not overnight. Um, And even now, it's easy for me to look at the finished product and not remember all the time wandering in the dark, um, Mm. feeling like, this will never be a book. I'm wasting my time. What am I doing? This isn't good. Mm. Um, I don't remember that. I just remember the day that my agent called and said, we sold your book. And then I'm like, "Wow, well, that was easy, (laughs) which it was not. It was not easy.
0: Yeah, no, and um, so how do you feel about comparing a, a project like this to a child? Because I have mixed feelings about it, because some, some people say, well, it's like your baby, and I say, well, your baby, you have your baby, and you love them regardless of how they turn out. But this, I mean, you, you have a specific vision for how you want it to turn out.
1: Yeah, that I—that's I, so such a good question. No one's asked me that, and I too struggle with it because, in some ways, it's apt because um, there's just because it's a pro, it's a long process and it's creative, but. But it's so different, like book reviews, nobody's reviewed my kid, you know, like did you make a good kid? Is the language oh, that I mean, you yeah exactly, exactly, please, that would be really be a review of me, right um, and the other thing is that but oh but one way in which here I am one week out, the one way that it does feel this process feels most like having a baby, is here I am on the back end, and it feel I feel. I mean, I'm one week out. I feel really like a little, I feel that lost feeling I had when my kids were like five days old and I'm like, Mm -hmm. they're sleeping and everyone's excited and I feel really depleted, totally joyful, really depleted and really weird. Like I Mm -hmm. don't totally, especially my first, right? I'm like, who am I now? I am now this thing called mother and I had... I was socked by depression and, um, which is totally normalized now. But like when it happens to you, I'm like, wait, I really, really wanted this baby. And now I'm like, so sad. What, what's happening? It's so, so scary.
0: I experienced postpartum depression after all three of my children, um, different severities. Um, but I have to say it was the worst after my last pregnancy and it didn't hit until, um, My baby was about eight or nine months old, so I didn't really know what was going on. And I didn't even realize that late onset postpartum depression was a thing. So I think if I had known, I would have sought help earlier. So if you or anyone you know is experiencing this, please reach out and get help.
1: I'm having that right now about the book. Like, oh my God, I loved it so much. Now it belongs to the world and strangers are Instagramming about it, which is such a thrill. And I want to talk to them all, but I'm like, I have this low grade feeling of like depression, like a little bit what's next, a little bit I miss, I miss being in the trenches with the book because now the book is out and it's complete in a way. And I called someone last night who's an artist and he does like improv and one man shows. And I was like, what, what's wrong with me? And he's like, oh, it's grief. Mm. Grief is what happens on the back ends of any artistic process. And I've just never stuck with one this long. So I've never been here before. Which is exactly what I said when my baby was a, a week old and I looked up at the dinner table. Friends had brought dinner and I was like, I think I'm depressed. How is this happening? It was like very common, of course, but it's so I just both times I wasn't expecting it. And I didn't expect it to feel like this. I thought the joy I thought the joy would be unalloyed and last a lot longer without the complicated physical parts you know mm-hmm.
0: I think that's why I reached out and messaged you the other day because I felt this surge of pride and happiness for you but then I was like oh crap like yes if she's anything like me anything like any other artist or writer like this is not going to be good sometimes you know like there's a totally fallout and I just wanted to reach out to you know okay you know
1: so yeah, I was so grateful and I, I said to my husband when I went to bed Tuesday night and it's been this wild day and Reese Witherspoon has picked my book yeah. and it's, and people I haven't talked to in, year, in decades have like reached out to me and it's like so much love, so much stimulation, so much attention, which I'm going to be honest, I loved it.
0: And I'm going to be honest and say I loved that she loved it. I love that she is okay with celebrating this moment and we should all all feel that way.
1: Um, but it's not sustainable, you know? And I said to my husband, I was like, the people who call and check on me tomorrow, like day publication plus one, I love them. The people who check on me two days out, they really get it. And anybody who checks on me day three or four, they've walked through spiritual fire and they totally know that I am going to be swimming in all kinds of emotions and unknown. And you were just, it was so great to hear from you. And what you said to me was so great. You said something about imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. which had totally come up. It had like, right alongside the victory, like One minute, I'm looking at Reese Witherspoon holding my book, which is even beyond my dreams. I did not dream that big for a debut memoir of a nobody like me. So this is happening. And then two minutes later, or maybe thereafter, I'm thinking to myself, how did I do it? What if I can't do it again? do i deserve like, underneath all that is sort of a feeling like do i deserve this like i've got women in my writing group who write beautifully and they're still waiting for their pop their chance for their book and their books are better written than mine you know it just all is so well actually i shouldn't be evaluating cuz i have no idea i'm not objective but it's just a very confusing and all the parts of my personality that were always there are still there so i yeah. can't escape myself
0: so speaking of the book, let me hold it up here. Ta-da. I don't know if you can see, but um, I had left the book on my kitchen counter and my kids were eating pomegranates and now there's pomegranate juice splattered all over the front, but I love it. I love it. A well worn, a well loved yeah. book. I love it. I was like, oh my new book, and I'm like, wait, this is this is kind of on brand. So it's it's okay. <laughs> um so yeah, okay. Speaking of it's so good. Like Thank you. So I was listening to the Brene Brown podcast, and her guest was Elizabeth Lesser. And she made a statement that really um, stuck with me. She said, a book is its own person. And I've been thinking about that more and more as I think about writing my own memoir, and just that fear of Uh, putting myself out there. But when I think of a book as its own person and almost a bit separate from me, you know, because it's not just me and it wasn't just you that wrote the book, you know, there's a lot of other hands on it, a lot of other eyes on it. And I was just curious to know um, how that concept comes across to you, that a book is its own person.
1: I love that. I love that so much because I think it feels really true. I, interestingly, this past weekend, people have had a chance now to buy the book and digest the book and they're reaching out to me and there ha- people who are close to me or who knew me during the events of the group they had or the events that appear in the book which is called group um they have their own relationship to the story that i told they don't rem- some some of the people were like i didn't know that about you so they seem to feel like Hurt, or like one of my friends was like, Oh, I was so so self absorbed, I didn't know all this was going on with you. And I was like, I hit it, I was very good at it. And so, as I watch people have their reactions to the book, this both the story and the, the life of the book, I think that that's a very good point. And I can sort of detach, like, I wrote what I wrote, it was my point of view about a period of time in my life something happened that I felt was worth storying. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it really, like it lives on its own and it's got it's, it's, its own thing mm-hmm. that isn't me. And that helps a lot, especially like when I think about people, I mean, at some point, I mean, every author says this, you're going to come across the bad review or the person mm-hmm. who's like, who is this person? And why would I read her book? And that's that's a fair engagement with the work. But if I understand it as not about me living, breathing me today, then I'll be able to weather all of it just so much more gracefully.
0: So I'm curious, do you feel more fear about negative feedback for your work, for your writing or for like you as a person? Because I think that's one of my fears too, in writing a memoir is that you feel like that's you. And I just didn't know you know, how you wrestle with that fear?
1: That's a great question. And my answer is like, I, to my core, I want people to love me and I want them to love the things I make. So (laughs) I'm really greedy. I'm greedy like that. And it feels, both feel terrifying. But, but at the end of the day, if I really assess it, like my ego wants people and certainly critics to love the writing in the book and the storytelling and the language. But the truth is, if they don't like it, I have a chance at another shot. Like I could try again. I could write a better book. I could take the feedback and work hard on the craft and try to make something that's um, even... That, that addresses some of my own flaws in my writing or blind spots or do something new and exciting, whatever. But if someone doesn't like who you are as a person, like that feels a little bit more, but here's the other thing too. Like I've had that experience on the internet where people were attacking me as a mother, um, as a writer. And, you know, a lot of that felt like that's not about me. That's about the speaker. And they're mm-hmm. using me. Like a lot of it comes out misogynist and, Um, And sometimes we'll have valid complaints and the delivery can be extremely abusive and frightening. Um, So I've had to like sort of engage with all different kinds of criticism and just sort of make peace with it and, and learn how to detach, take what, take what I like from the experience and the wisdom or whatever's being offered. And then what the poison, just leave it. That's not for me.
0: Yeah. Well, and obviously your group experience that you went through has hopefully helped you with some of those things. Just totally. Su- super jealous, by the way, because I'm like, I want a group, like, not that I can't go seek out one, but yeah. like I want the one with the same dynamic you described because it just sounds yeah. so wonderful. It's like, I want to be their friends. And um... so I wasn't sure if I could bring this up, but um, I guess since everything's on the table, um, I'm not sure if you remember, well, I'm sure you remember because it happened to you, but it was a couple of years ago where there was some big to-do online and a bunch of people were upset with you about an article you'd written about Writing about your daughter, and maybe she yes, wanted yeah. to blog about her. And I remember coming across it on something like on Instagram. I said, "Hey, like that's my friend." And what are they saying? And I chimed in and said, "You know, uh, I know her personally, and she has good intentions. And maybe you don't agree with her approach, but back off." Like people are just so irate about that.
1: Yeah. Also, so what's interesting, I had written a. An essay in the Washington Post, and my daughter had found all my online writing, and we hadn't talked about it yet. I didn't realize it was probably ripe for conversation because she found it. She'd gotten a computer for Christmas, and this was right after Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so she, you know, was like, I just Googled you, and what is all this? And <laughs> she found like my mommy blogs that, you know, you knew them back in the day, but I hadn't yeah. written in them. But, you know, she, she rightfully, we had to negotiate that. And she was like, um, you know, I don't want you to blog about me anymore. And I, that to me, I was like, that's perfectly reasonable. I don't do that anyway, but you're right. Like we should have a very, like a true boundary around that. The issue is that we didn't have, that wasn't the end of the conversation, but I popped off an essay to the um, Washington Post and she was like, I, she didn't say to me, don't write about me anymore, but she was like, we, we need to talk about this. Mm. And what, what happened was I wrote about like, I'm gonna write about my motherhood for the rest of my life. I will write about my motherhood and I believe that there are ways to do that while protecting my children's yeah. privacy. I did not make that clear in the article at all. I hadn't totally fleshed it all out. And so the, um, the headline was super incendiary and I didn't write it. The headline was like, my daughter doesn't want me to write about her. Here's why I am refusing to do that or something. That's extremely incendiary. And I understand exactly why people were like, whoa, Christy Tate, what are you saying? what i was visualizing and had i read a, had i written a better piece the conversation probably would have gone differently but what i meant was i am invested in my creativity and if i want to write about motherhood i'm going to find a way to do it without betraying my daughter or my son you know i'm not going to read their diaries or tell stories about them but i i believe enough in the stories that other women have shared with me online shared with the world have enriched my motherhood and i feel like a solid no because my kids have reached because my kids have reached a certain age right mm-hmm. we can no longer write about motherhood which is different than saying i can write about whatever i want or i can write about my daughter my motherhood is about me and centers me. Um, It's a super nuanced um, argument or super nuanced position that I did not fully explicate. Um, But I, I heard from around the world about how terrible that is. And it sounds, it does sound terrible. I don't believe that any writer should, I mean, the word that always came up was exploit. Don't exploit your kids. Don't exploit your kids. And every mother and father who writes has to draw that line with their ethics and their spouse or whoever's helping them raise the children and with the children. Um, and so that was a really, it was a great experience, horrible at the time, but, um, but I learned a lot about being clear about, um, what people will say to you online. People had my private email and were like writing me really, really nasty things. And I'm like, I'm open for a debate about this, but we're not, why are you calling me these names and, telling me that if you were my daughter you'd kill yourself like people have a lot of energy around this i didn't i didn't know that there was already a raging debate and i just stepped right into it but it helped me clarify you know it helped me clarify what my ethics are vis-a-vis my children and get my husband on board and i learned a lot from even the trolls you know
0: yeah i've wrestled with that a lot myself um having an autistic daughter and, um, thinking about the stories that I'm telling about my own motherhood, especially as I've gotten to know autistic adults and some of them who had parents who wrote about them as children and they did feel violated. So I really had to step back and think, okay, what is my intention here? And what's the impact I'm having? Um, and I still think it's just so important though, that we all have the ability to tell our stories and as, in as ethical of a way as possible. But um, one of the things you mentioned in your book here, I think it's on um, page 227, uh, you talked about, you said, I wasn't committing the cardinal sin of going it alone. And I think that's so important that when we hear other voices, reflecting our own stories that we don't feel like we're alone. We do feel like we're in this together. Can you talk about that a little bit more?
1: 100%. And when I was writing that essay, you know, or, and the book too, but when I'm thinking about the essay that I wrote about motherhood, I thought of the wonderful writers. I thought of Allison Slater Tate, whose children, she's a writer. She writes for today.com and the other places. Now. Yeah. And she's like, she, she goes viral like every six months. And um, she had written just so many gorgeous pieces on applying for college or dealing with her kids sports. And um, there's another writer who used to write with us and yeah, right. Mary Laura Philpot, And she writes these beautiful pieces about her kids being involved in theater or <sighs> finding the turtle and thinking they're the turtle that lives in their yard, a feral turtle, like had been smushed. And it's like, that that's what I meant I meant those stories those enrich me and I don't want anyone drawing a curtain around those and there must be a way to tell stories without hurting other people but to your point it's like the connection that I shared with you and with all the other writers at a time when I was really lonely I had two very small children I was Exhausted all the time, bogged down, breastfeeding, trying to figure out what my professional life was going to look like. To hear you guys doing that, you you in the heartland and another friend in New York City and somebody in California, and we're all just like crawling forward together. It was just... That to me, I think I'm always now, because of my group experiences, I'm always going to gravitate towards groups because that's where I, I need that comfort and connection to, to really truly be who I was meant to be.
0: So there was another line in the book that really got to me. Um, It's when you agree to keep someone's secret, you hold their shame. I thought that was so powerful. Um, because, um, you know, as an empath, I find that people want to um, tell me their secrets. Yes, and, yes. Um, that it creates this this heaviness and this weight that I carry around. And while I'm, I'm honored that they, they want to trust me with their uh, with their stuff, I find that anymore, I'm tempted to just hand them a card of a really great therapist, uh, because it just creates this this weight that I then I then carry around with me.
1: I agree, I think it's a weight, and it 's funny, you know when people pick up on that part about the secrets, and I talked I was in a conversation about this last week. We understand what we know now when we think about child abuse, even a lay person's understanding it's like what you do to a child 's body is that's a transgression, that is abuse that's very bad what 's also bad is that you tell the child. Don't tell anyone. This is our secret. That's also the process of abuse. That's a that's part and parcel of the transgression. So we understand that we understand that asking a child to carry the adult's shame, the abuser's shame is like horrific. We would never no sane person would sign off on that. Mm-hmm. But that's the exact same process that happens between two consenting peers or adults or whatever secrets I've been carrying from, I I have not been sexually abused, but there were all kinds of things all my life that I was like, I can't tell anyone. I can't tell anyone. Either things that I was doing because I have an eating disorder and I've done all kinds of shenanigans with food, but also things I saw, things I felt, I had the feeling I couldn't tell. And that became like those weights each one of those was a weight inside of me keeping me from opening up or being vulnerable because i was so afraid that something would slip out and then what you know so i really am grateful that dr rosen the doctor in the book that's not his real name i'm really grateful that he his philosophy is he taught me that in day one even before i started group like holding secrets is holding toxicity And even now, like I'm a lawyer, I have a lot of secrets I hold for clients and I too, I may have some empathic personality traits and people tell me things and I have to just be really clear. Like, I just want you to know, I may need to get my own support with this conversation. You know, I
0: okay, hold up that line right there. I just need you to know, I might need to get my own help with this conversation. It's genius. And I'm absolutely going to steal that and use that when I am put in a situation where, someone is unloading their secrets onto me and I just can't carry that weight.
1: Just try to, people know that about me. Um, One thing that happened in the process of this book is my editor called me and she's, we knew about Reese's offer to put me in her book club. Um, We knew about that in July, end of July. And she said, you can't tell your, you can't tell anyone. You can't tell your group. And I was like, oof. Oh no, oh no. Oh, this is really a challenge. Um but what I did you're like was, did you read my book right and you're
0: actually- I know I know it's a little bit
1: like <laughs> that goes against the whole thing we're doing here but um what I did I told my husband and then I called Dr. Rosen and I I talked to him on the phone. I said they told me not to tell the group and he's like, "Well, you're not going to keep the secret forever." And I was like, "Just until the book comes out." Um and he was like, "That's maybe that's different, you know? Like maybe mm-hmm. not all secrets are the same. And he was like, I support you in, you know, honoring your promise to your editor and tell the group you have a secret and tell them when they can know more about it. And um, so that was just, even if you, even if you aren't able to let go of the secret, like there's a woman in my group who has a lot going on with a financial transaction and a divorce and people have very, very complex lives and this no secrets thing. I, I came in single and sort of, not much going on. So I could really take it to the hilt. But some people have negotiated different, a different relationship to secrets in the group. And um, I've seen that work for them. So it just sort of, you get to write, write it yourself. I personally, I'm just all or nothing. I'm either all in, I'm either going to tell you everything or I'm not going to tell you anything.
0: <laughs> That's just me. Well, I think there's a difference between a secret and a surprise. And that's something I talk to my kids about, you know, like if someone asks you to keep a secret, um, that's probably not okay, but surprises are different. Um, you know, a secret is usually something shameful or bad or wrong, and it's something that's never supposed to be revealed versus a surprise is something it's only temporarily hidden and it will be revealed and it's a good thing.
1: That is great language. I wish I would have had that in <laughs> July. Like I have a surprise for y'all. It's not a secret, mm-hmm. it's something I'm planning. Oh my God. That's so,
0: that's really, really great. So let's talk about the element of your book that was unexpected to me, I guess, and made me realize that maybe I'm just a big old prude, but I did not, um, expect the detail and the extent of um the sex scenes in the book and it made me realize that it was it was refreshing in a lot of ways just to hear another woman talk about um her very normal passions and talk about physicality as a woman and our wants and our needs and desires and owning that desire and uh yeah, I would just uh, I wanted to hear you talk more about that. And yeah, there were a lot of a lot of sexy times in the book.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. My mother was like, "You coulda warned me. You coulda warned me." And when I was I was doing a an edit through the book with my editor, while I knew my parents were reading the book, I didn't send it to them till I had like a galley, and because I was stalling, I was stalling because the book is full of sex. Mm-hmm. And finally, um, I call. It was like they were finishing up, and it was right about. Um, father 's day and i can 't knock i can 't hide from your family, my parents on father's Day, so call my parents and they were like, Hello <laughs> and i was like i 'm sorry, I should have told you that there's a ton of sex and as I was editing it, knowing they were reading it, I was like, This is basically like a big old sex book because it just seems so loud, imagining like my very Catholic parents like reading this, and you know I really owe that the courage. I mean, people are like, you're so brave. I get that. And I don't even totally disagree. But I also had great teachers and great, the writing that I love went there. And so I was like, well, I'll go there too. Mm -hmm. Um, And But I have been saying on the back end, I'm like, I'm never writing about sex again. I'm never, ever writing about sex again. Just because it's like, it's super weird. Like guys in my office now, if they, you know, they're, some of them was like oh we're reading the book i'm like oh my god you're going to know
0: things about me um and that's the plight of the memoirist right so what's interesting is even though you completely reveal yourself in this book i i don't look at you and see you any differently and i don't know if that's because i'm a writer but i felt like um it made me see myself differently oh. and think about how i've expressed my own journey and my own story I even look at my old writing and like how much I held back and I used to not even cuss (laughs) um so yeah I mean for me it was more of a a reflection on on how I saw myself
1: that is such a wonderful wonderful thing like that feels very empowering to me like because I think it's true right anything we react to and what we read is always about us you know and my part was writing it and that was that's that was my part of it, but like anybody else's reaction is uh, like a hundred percent about them. So that's a great reminder and you just said it in such a beautiful way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, you know, we share a lot of similarities. We're both moms, we're both writers. Uh, we both grew up in kind of more rural type settings. Um, so there were a lot of times where it almost felt like a mirror held up to parts of my own life that I wanted to evaluate or even just appreciate about myself more. And yeah, um oh so <laughs> there was a part in the book i wanted to talk to you about just correct me up uh it was early on when you first started going to group and i wasn't sure if this was an intentional um play but you talked about um you were fidgeting with your uh, pearl bracelet because you're uncomfortable in the group I thought, oh my gosh like she's literally clutching her pearls yes <laughs> totally totally yeah. Yeah, I thought about that as the book evolved from you, you know, symbolically clutching your pearls to, uh, you know, revealing every detail of your sex life. Thank you. Thank you. That I really, it's
1: that to me reminds me of like my early days in group where it was so. Now, because I'm a pro 20 years in almost, I feel like I remember back what it was like to be, you know, I was 20, I just turned 27, which now seems so young. And, these strangers are staring at me like you can't hide. Like they can see your ankles and your wrists and your hair and whatever you're doing to fidget, you know? And um, it was so very scary. And I was a big fidgeter early on because Just anxious. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what they were seeing. I didn't know how to control. Like, I wanted to control their impressions of me. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to think, at, at one and the same, I wanted them to think I was like cool and interesting and tortured in like a very interesting way. But also, I wanted them to help me and sort of see that I was real pathetic. I felt like I was pathetic and I wanted to be sure they knew as as awesome as I was, I definitely needed their help. And so with all that noise in my head, it was really hard to just like sit naturally and sit still
0: and let the whole thing unfold. It was like almost impossible. Well, I just, I was just cheering you on and I, I almost felt like envious that you got to a place where you were able to display like your anger in the way that you were because it's not somewhere that I am at yet. Um, but hopefully will be. Um, Oh, and I also want to say that I totally understand your um, connection to your therapist. I also feel very fondly about my therapist. And a matter of fact, I asked him if he would adopt me. (laughs) Um, But he said that he would be honored, but it doesn't really, doesn't really work that way. Um, Yeah, I mean, but I do seem like it's almost like a father figure. You know, I lost my dad seven years ago. We were really close and... Um, I think I think having a male therapist is like an important part of like healing that male-female connection that just happens and not even like even whether or not you had a great dad or you know whether or not you've been abused. I feel like there's just that um, tension there regardless just because of how our society is structured and patriarchy and it builds in this like unhealthy toxicity. A hundred percent. I could not agree more and yeah I think there's this idea that
1: um You know, having daddy issues is kind of a, a sarcastic comeback to things, or there 's this idea that you have to be like a really broken woman um, and that you only deserve help if your dad like was a cr- abuser or a pedophile or whatever and it 's like there 's lots of forces that can that interfere between my father and i 's relationship. That are not anybody's fault. Like you said, there's patriarchy, there's religion, there's being busy, there's being stressed out, there's being impoverished. Um, we we were not poor, but like there were really stressful times, and there were three kids, and it just everybody's doing the hustle, and so I sort of feel like nobody has to justify no woman or man has to justify why they might be angry like the question is what would you like to do about it would you like to get that up and out of your body so it's Mm -hmm. not driving you in in sideways or in ways that you don't totally understand
0: yeah so i'd like to take a second here and just say you know i'm finally starting to understand um the physical ways that feelings can manifest themselves in our bodies and I am absolutely a proponent for getting those up and out of your body um maybe something like a smash lab which just opened recently in my community and I would really like to check it out Um, Or if you, like, I didn't know I was working really hard. I had to
1: stay far away from people because as I got closer, I had more feelings. And one of those feelings was anger. And I thought I wasn't allowed or it was bad or it felt like it would be uncontrollable. And I don't think it's an accident at all that when I started to express
0: deep anger, I got closer to people. But it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you know this, but the title of the memoir I'm working on is Coming of Rage. <gasps> yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. And it really speaks to, um, you know, when the main trauma in my life happened, I was 16. And, you know, just what it, the effects it had on the way my brain developed and the way my emotions developed. And rage, you know, anger is like, probably the main emotion that I Um, still struggle with and you know I'm still still on that journey to figure out what to do with that I'm so excited I
1: every time you post about your writing especially your memoir I'm always like I just I know it will be amazing I know a little bit about your story and to me it seems so vital and I cannot wait
0: I have to quit getting distracted and that's me
1: Myself, but <laughs> well, it's easy to do these days. Yeah. That's gonna be amazing. I really think there's so many more stories to tell about abuses of power and. Um, you know, we've grappled with that, like on the national stage with Hollywood, but like it happens in every suburban community, every rural, it happens all the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm ready for more of those stories. So I'm, I'm so looking forward to see what you do with it, with your your story.
0: Okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple more questions and they're questions I'd like to ask each of my guests. Sure. Okay. Have you ever wanted to trade being brave for being safe?
1: Oh God. Yes. When I'm safe, I want to be brave. And when I'm brave, I want to be safe. I think it's a, it's like a double helix that operates inside of me in tension all the time. And that's a great question.
0: Can you ever feel both at one time?
1: I think so. I think so. I think that I think that if I didn't truly have safety, meaning my supportive like my husband and my kids and you know my group, my therapist, my net the network that I learned how to build because of group, if I didn't really have that, I couldn't be brave. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not scared and I still have to summon courage to do the brave thing. But if I didn't actually have that foundation, I don't it'd be game over. I'd just be watching TV, you know, <laughs> watching other people be brave and being jealous of them, you know.
0: Yeah. Okay, one more question. Um <laughs> it's kind of an unusual question, so if you need to take a bit. What's your hype song? Oh
1: my god, that's such a cool question. I love like we talk about this a lot in my house because my sons into baseball and as his he's young and so when his um, taste change. She's like, oh, I got my new walkout song. My oh. new walkout song is Little Nas X, blah, blah, blah. And so <laughs> I would say, I think of that as kind of like a hype song, right? But I would say I would blast um, Ellie Goulding's um, Anything Can Happen. I love it because it's like full of possibility. It's like this beautiful woman's voice and it's like, I feel like if I'm ever, if it ever comes on when I'm running, I feel like I run like a couple, couple seconds faster per mile. Not much more, okay. but I've heard it. Oh my that's God.
0: That's it. I'm literally getting goosebumps right now. It's just, uh, Energy. Yeah. That's good. I love it. So I'm thinking about creating, um, like a playlist on Spotify with hype songs from all of my guests. And I think that would be a really great way to inspire us all to be a little more brave. What's your hype song? Oh, okay. So I love thunder by imagine dragons. Yes. definitely <laughs> one. Um, <laughs> um, lose yourself. Eminem. Probably be another one. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, in my head, I'm this dancer and rapper and all those great things
1: (laughs) i love it well those are great songs like that's the universal music the universal language of music
0: yes thank you for your time today Um, congratulations on your book this was just a wonderful soul-filling conversation today thank you thank you so much i can't wait to see what's
1: next for you and for me and i'm so glad we're still in touch and i know um, I hope you have a great day and I hope we survive this special day and the season and uh, we'll come out the other side, writing, riding, and living. I've forgotten about it for a
0: moment, which was the whole point of this, which was wonderful. So thank you. Me too. <laughs> you so much. Have a great day. Bye there. Bye. Isn't she just the best? I really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, if you want to learn more about Christy, you can check out her website, christytate.com. C H R I S T I E T A T E dot com. Make sure to grab your own copy per book group. If you like today's podcast, I hope you stay in touch and I'd love to hear your ideas for who I should interview in the future. You can reach out at catpoland.com or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at catpoland or on Facebook, catpoland author and storyteller. And I hope you subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify and also on Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and don't forget that good things happen when you step out of line.